Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. This is a program where we discuss life's hard financial questions to help you make smart decisions about your money. I'm a certified financial planner and Jeremiah is a California licensed attorney. We work together at Tricord Advisors. Tricord is a registered investment advisory firm where we help our clients build the life that they love. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on future episodes, just send us an email. Use the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or just give our office a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Good morning, I'm Randy Barkley, and that's Jeremiah. And we are at different locations, and so Jeremiah is, is sharing a part of his vacation. So if you hear noises in the back, it's probably his children and other factors. You can kind of see from his background, he's kind of in the open field right now. But uh, anyway, he's he uh, traveled uh, all day yesterday to get up to a point where he's visiting family. I'm still stuck here in the office, though, because somebody has to hold down the fort. You know, something like that. So and you do, and you do a great job. Of <laughs> right. Uh-huh. As, as everyone knows, we're both uh, certified financial planners, and I'm also a California licensed attorney. And each week, we talk about things that hopefully make your life better. Um, so this week, we're going to jump into some, I think, interesting topics. Yeah. So last week, uh, the market had a phenomenal rally, and of course, the pundits came out on Monday, Jeremiah, and the first thing they said is, "This just a bear market rally." Yeah. And so a bear market rally just means the markets have a tendency to go up, but then there's it's just on their way down, right? Yeah. And some of the I mean, part of the things we talked I talked to people about is you got to stay invested because some of the best days in the market are in the middle of a downward. Right. Uh, you know, even though it's going out, trying to time it and just skip out on these bad moments is very difficult because some of those bad moments include some great days. So if it's a bear market rally, in essence, the pundits are saying. It's going to go up. It's going to go back down. Like it, we're still in downward slide. Yeah, and, I, and again, I looked at this article, and I think most of you can kind of see this. This mm-hmm. is a Wall Street ar- article that came out on, you know, this came out on last Thursday, and it says the Hail Mary for investors. So in essence, the author of this particular article is saying, okay, you got a reprieve, so let's just sell out, right? Up a little bit. Um, but then Monday hit. Uh, and it, the market continues. Now we had some volatility with Pelosi going to Taiwan, but then the market started to recover the next day. So again, the valuations that we look at, is there, are we still headed downward? Is there still going to be a downward leg from here? And nobody can tell you yes or no, right? Nobody knows. And when we look at the market, um, one of the things that we talk a lot about is, you know, what does it look like in 10 years? What does it look like in three years? What does it look like now? And the hard thing, and a lot of people are seeing this is, the market right now is, is has turmoil. It has uncertainty. We're getting conflicting ideas. You look at some of the bond rate rates for ten years from now. It, it looks like smooth sailing. And I I wonder how much of that is people either you know sticking to their guns and saying, "Yep, this is a long term investing. We're going to be fine," and not impacting the future rates, or is it people just assuming we'll <laughs> we'll be fine or we won't be fine? But I can't think of that right now. I, I just have to focus on this. I mean, it's a real interesting market seeing the the level of volatility that we have today as compared to what they see for, for interest rates and for a number of other things down the road. And so active management, I mean, you can get active management where they're constantly sorting stocks and are kind of looking at the holdings based upon certain factors like P.E. ratios and profitability and, you know, outside interest rates and inflation such as that. But bottom line is, is that active management for the particularly the newer investor and the younger investor 
And if you've got at least five years or more in your investment numbers, use of them, particularly retirement funds, you know, passive pretty much beats out active. Yeah. You know, we, we have to we have to really admit that because yeah. the numbers show that, right? I think it's an interesting part interesting part of this industry of saying we manage people's money for them. And there's an argument to be made that all the best minds, all the best thoughts coming together don't make any difference. Right. You could have just bought an index, you know, the, the S&P 500 or Vanguard makes a number of great indices that you just buy that, you hold it as a passive fund. There's no adjustments, there's no changes and just let it go for 10 years versus someone who is every day or every month pulling, changing, adjusting, trying to be strategic. Um, and the argument, like you said, is, is does this make a difference over, <laughs> sorry, I think you're a rooster in the background, but you might hear that here. Um, but does this make a difference over time? And the statistics say generally that it doesn't. Yeah, and I think I think the key there is that we separate ourselves, what we do, uh, active versus tactical. Um, I, I want to go in, I want to fall in the camp of being a rational optimist. I, I think that overall the market will heal, it will make mistakes, it'll bump, but over the long haul, the economy will continue to grow. And I mean, it's shown that over literally hundreds of years that it'll do that. But in the meantime, tackle aspect means that you're taking a look at valuations and you're looking at macroeconomics and you're rebalancing your portfolio. You aren't necessarily uh, pulling out individual stocks, but particularly for the investor that's got five to 10 years before the use of that money. But being tactical is really important, I think. It, it helps to prevent those really major downturns, uh, like what happened back in 2000, what happened in 2008, uh, being tactical really helped to limit the loss, and then you can pick back up again when the when the market kind of hits the bottom and pull out again. And the hard part, I think, that the part we can be really candid about is the difference between being tactical and just trying to time the market. And right. there's some overlap, right? To say if we see everything's going down, let's pull out for a season. And the same thing can be said for someone who's just trying to time the market, saying, "Oh, we're in a downturn. Out we go and jump back in." Um, and the line there is probably blurry to some extent to say at what point are we just seeing the writing on the wall and making strategic choices? At what point are we just trying to time this? Because we have no interest in trying to time the market. We are, we're not trying to just say, here's, here's a week to be in, here's a week to be out. Um, and maybe it's just the discipline that goes with that, you know, to say when we adjust a portfolio, we might adjust it, you know, 10, 20% of it. We're not wholesale in, wholesale out. Um, and part of it too is when we see it, we're not trying to be the first mover to say, oh, we're projecting this, but rather to say, this is the trend we see, we see it continuing, so let's respond accordingly. Um, but I think, I think there's fair, probably fair criticism um, for people who are outside this industry to look in and say, what are you really doing? What value are you adding? Should I just buy a Vanguard ETF and forget about it? And for some investors, the answer is yes. You know, they don't need the sophistication. A lot of the folks that we work with have some real um, tax implications that we need to be mindful of. And that right. tactical is not just tactical for the market. It's also tactical for their life and their income structure to make sure that how taxes overlay with this investment. Yeah, and I mean, again, not only taxes, but also in the realm that you deal with a lot of our clients, and that's in estate planning. It's, it's what I call that wealth management. So we work with a tax standpoint, but you come right alongside of clients, making sure their estate is established in such a way that if there is a disability or a death or whatever, that that they're um, that they're not going to be hit or blindsided by some event that's going to change the economic outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. To to I say they miss the big ones, but to be have a safety net in place. Right. You know, if there's a massive 
you know, hit to the stock market? Do they have bonds or other investments that will keep them up? If, if, if they're having a high exposure to the market, do they have other assets that will allow them to mitigate? That? I mean, I, I think being holistic is so important to where it's not just, you know, this one pool of assets, this is everything, get it invested. But to say, you know, what is their cash savings? What is their real estate? Uh, what are their other holdings? What are their pensions or their future income? Right. Take that whole picture. And with that, I, I think it's a lot easier to paint an aspect of it that says this will be your investing account. Um, but to but put everything in your whole life into one account, it becomes very risky. And if we were holding an account like that, we would, within that account, diversify and take out the risk just because it needs to be. Whereas when you have yeah. people who have good other assets, they could have a, a higher risk investment account. Yeah, for example, if, I mean, what I call the high conviction um, holdings, like for example, if you bought real estate in right after the downturn in 2008, and you're holding on to something that has phenomenal gain, but yet to sell it, the taxes would be devastating. You'd end up not only paying the capital gains, but you'd have recapture of depreciation. It's pretty devastating. So you're looking at exchanges. But once you're in that, if your motivation is to minimize the taxes that you pay, you're kind of stuck in real estate. You're going to be doing it until somebody dies, mm. uh, until there's a step-up basis. Now, with stocks, it's kind of the same way, but stocks are much, typically you don't have these high convictions into one or two stocks. You know, every once in a while I'll talk to somebody, they've got, they're loaded up on, you know, Apple or Microsoft or whatever, and it, it makes up the vast majority of their portfolio, mm -hmm. and they've got a massive amount of capital gains. I, I talked about, you know, we've talked about that with Berkshire Hathaway. I've had some clients where they have, they started investing with Warren Buffett, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Well, those stock holdings now, remember the stock prices on Berkshire Hathaway, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. A lot of those stocks, if you sell them, you can't mitigate that capital gains. That's why we like diversification and we like to have, you know, kind of that, that no more than a certain percentage in particular holdings. It makes it much more uh, flexible and tax efficient, right? Yeah. Well, and even as easy as the part of tactical, one of the things that we do is a lot of the portfolios that we manage in-house, we, uh, we rebalance them every quarter. Right. Meaning that if you had, say, a, a, a section of Apple, and Apple went up really well, rather than just holding that, we would actually sell off some of that because it, it's skewed. If you had 5% Apple, it's now become 8% Apple. We would sell off some of that to bring it back down to 5%. And that helps you sell high. You know, on the flip side, if, say, Microsoft had gone down, we would buy more Microsoft to get it into that um, percentage that we want it to be. And with that, you're buying low, selling high. It's a natural... Uh, turnover of the portfolio. But what that prevents is just like you said, 20 years from now, um, rather than having one holding that is now grown and it becomes awkward and tax inefficient to ever sell it, you can locked in. Uh, you have an ability to say, well, I only have 5% Apple. Over the years, I've bought and sold lots of Apple, but now I only have 5%, which I've always wanted to have 5% versus allowing that to grow and grow and grow and become you know 15% in your portfolio, locking you in an awkward position. If you see something in the, in the world that you want to exit Apple, they have a practice or, or some reason that you want to exit from Apple and you've held it for 15 years, you've got a lot of capital gains you have to deal with. Um, and so part of that tactile aspect is, is rotating the portfolio in a way that keeps it healthy and keeps it balanced. Right. Years ago, you know, there was a concern about churning is that, that brokers would trade these accounts and they would generate fees every time they did it. And so they shouldn't have been doing that. You know, they shouldn't be rotating things. Whereas now in the environment we're at, trading costs have gone to zero. And that's really important to emphasize because as fiduciaries, we don't receive any commission. We receive zero compensation from the buys and sells, the transactional aspects of a portfolio. 
we truly are looking at what is best for that client. Yeah. So if we were to sell something and to buy something else and, and do that rapidly, let's say within a 30 day period, it does not increase our compensation one iota. And that's really important for the for the client, for the for our clients to know. Yeah, and it's important for from my perspective to be able to do something like this, to say you know, years ago, this wasn't an option to keep a portfolio this healthy. Whereas now we have the ability to constantly be rebalancing and keeping things up. And we don't do it weekly, we don't do it monthly. We've decided that quarterly is the, the optimum right. outcome for us. And we may change that in the future. But I like the idea of being able to keep a portfolio nimble and healthy and balanced um, from almost from an academic standpoint of where we think it should be. And we believe that creates better outcomes. But even if the stock outcomes were the same, that portfolio you have 15 years from now does not have a buildup of capital gains, does not have a buildup to where you can't get out of it uh, without significant tax consequences. Yeah, I mean, again, people that have large holdings, and, and again, the, the probably the thing that's the emphasis there is real estate holdings. So they have rental properties they've acquired. Um, we're not we're not saying in any way, shape, or form that that's a bad thing. What we're saying is is that because of such a high conviction, uh, the the value of that in relationship to maybe total assets is not as maneuverable. It's not yeah. as adjusting. So if we're going down through another downturn and real estate is going to be affected negatively they're not as easy to adjust because of all the built-in values, um, you know, the tax aspects of it and everything else, the capital gains, as you would be if you had 100 stocks and you could yep. make changes within that portfolio. You adjusted, yeah. So when you kind of come back to this larger conversation, you know, passive investing versus active investing, right. it's a false choice. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I think, right. you know, what we take is a, is a tactical investing is what we call it. Um, but to say, you know, passive investing, just buying a fund that's well diversified, letting it go for 20 years is, is not a bad choice. That, that is a really great option for a lot of people. But knowing you're going to build up a lot of gains there. And if it's a Roth IRA, great. We don't we don't mind the gains, yeah. Right. But if it's your regular taxable cash account, there's some concerns with that. And so being not that you have to go active in the sense of someone trading for you on a daily basis, but rather say someone that's tactical that's going to keep the portfolio balanced is, is really a healthy way to go. Yeah. Listen, if you'd like us uh, as a subject matter or something that you'd like Jeremiah, Jeremiah and I to kind of talk about, you know, what we would we would uh, encourage you to do is to go on to our contact or just send us an email. Uh, you know, it's 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 either myself, you know, Randy at tricordadv.com or just go to the contact button on Retirement Unlimited and, and put in, we'd like for you guys to talk about whatever. And uh, we just want to provide information to you to help you make smart decisions about your money. You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned. He can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371, 888-627-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Good morning, I'm Randy, and that's Jeremiah, and we are 
at different places. Jeremiah's actually on vacation, so he's carving off a little bit of his life so he can participate in our radio program. And uh, Jeremiah, where are you at in the world? I'm up in Port Angeles, Washington. So it's, it's wow. beautiful here, the Pacific Northwest. And as most people know, Randy and I are both certified financial planners. I'm also a California licensed attorney. And each week we get together um, to talk about hot topics, you know, difficult items to try and make uh, you help, help you make better choices with your money. Yeah, so right now what we want to talk about, there's a lot of uh, pundits, there's a lot of comparisons of what we're going through right now with what happened in the 70s. Mm. And I really want to come back and kind of do a comparison and go through that. Now, I, I, I was in business. I started, I was, I, you know, I started in, my first job was in the basically 73, 74. And I worked through that. I started my own company in the late 70s. So I, I have a vivid memory of what inflation was like in the cost of money and real estate and how it affected everything. And so when people talk about and compare with what's going on today with what was going on then, I have to respond and say, yeah, there's similarities, but there's, a, there's big differences too. So right. this is and not the, in the 70s. The difference of, of my, you know, my personal experience is I was not alive in the 70s. I was born in the early 80s. Um, so I, I grew up in the, the generations or the, the decades that came after that. But I've read a lot about the, the 70s, you know, and, and there's a lot of analysis and, and drawback to say, okay, this is similar to then. But I think it's also a good moment to, I mean, what, what were you feeling, Randy, in the midst of, like you said, starting a business? Well, again, I started my business in the late 70s, and a lot of my, a lot of my clients back then were contractors. And uh, like me, they're starting, they were fairly just starting out. So they were um, working in the trades in some way. So when interest rates all of a sudden went from six, seven, eight percent and literally prime went up to like 14 percent, it drove these people out of business. I mean, mm. it, it was it was such a wash that small businesses could not exist. And uh, you were borrowing, you know, to, to borrow for a house, um, your FHA loans were at 14 percent. Can you imagine mm. in today? You had you had a oil embargo, um, and they had odd even. You couldn't fill up your car unless unless your license plate matched the odd or even number for that day. And that's such a difference, I think, than than what we think of. You know, the the price is high at the pump. You know, that's frustrating. Right. I, mean, I think a lot sure. of people feel that painfully. But the idea of, of that they wouldn't actually let you buy gas. I mean, I feel right. like if we did that now, we'd have fistfights at the pumps. And maybe you did. Maybe you did then. Well, no, there was there was people would jump line. Of course, people feel like they had a priority. And you read about, um, I don't remember anybody getting shot, but I'm sure that there was some pretty violent moments where people, you know, they, they protect their territory, right? Wow. Wow. And so with that, you know, there's, there's, there's gas rationing. There was high, high interest rates, you know, upwards of 10%. Um, employment, you know, my understanding in the 70s is it was a tough time. Is that you know, there wasn't a whole lot yeah, of job. Employment was, a, unemployment was over 10%. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a tough time. Yeah. So, so some key differences, I think, till today is that we have an oil issue, which is interesting that it's uniquely the same oil, right? It's a different issue, but the same right. concept. We have high inflation, not that high, but high inflation. But the, the, the massive difference I see is that our unemployment rate is, not to say rock bottom exactly, but it, it's way down there. Like, it's pretty significantly low. Right. So, you have, I mean, you, have, you can get a job. Uh, if somebody is unemployed and they're looking for a job, Readily, it may not be the exact job that they want, but there is there is sufficient number of businesses out there that are hiring, and you can put food on the table and keep a roof over your head. Gasoline, uh, oil prices, uh, yes, they're high. Gasoline prices are high, 
but we're still energy independent. We're not dependent upon another country to ship us oil and somebody that we are not necessarily agreeing with philosophically or politically. And that's what happened back in the 70s. So that's yeah. not happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a key question that I see is, is how did the 70s end? I mean, some people remember this, some don't, but you know, we're in this situation where it was difficult, but I mean, how did they end? My understanding is, is we had to kick the economy in the face, but you, know, you may explain it better of, of how did they, how did that end? How did that 70s Well, from end? Nixon through uh, his his exiting, you know, him him resigning from the office, Ford coming in, and Jimmy Carter. There was a political upheaval, so Jimmy Carter was elected over Gerald Ford, but then Jimmy Carter couldn't get it in, um, you know, couldn't get under control. And of course, we had this thing with Iran where they where they invaded the embassy. That was kind of an embarrassment to the United States. And there was a there were some heirs in, in that along. So he was basically a regime change. So Reagan came in uh, 1980 and Paul Volcker was already starting to talk about increasing interest rates. And he hit the brakes. Interest rates shot up dramatically. But the cause and effect was it is it drove inflation down. It broke the back of inflation. And we have not had any significant inflation uh, from 1982 until significantly now. And so we've had this uninterrupted growth within our economy. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal what happened when, when Volcker hit that. But also you had to couple that with some of the changes that Reagan did uh, politically, and he was able to get through as far as legislation and such as that. So anyway. Yeah. And so with that, you know, we, we then go into the 80s of, you know, economy recovered and it, it grew through the 80s and all sorts of good things. I mean, today what we see with the Fed, you know, we see the Fed making changes. You know, we see the Fed increasing interest rates. We see the Fed um, trying to do it differently, I think, than Volcker did, you know, not not doing nothing, you know, back at the, right. back of the um, Great Depression, but doing something, but not just kicking it, you know, hugely with interest rates, but just kind of easing into it. And a difference I see a lot of people talking about is, you know, the Fed being active, the Fed in increasing interest rates with this strong employment may allow this to be a shallow recession. That's, that's the hope. That's the op optimistic view is that we get a shallow recession if they want to label it a recession, you know, that, that then continues on. Yeah. But the detriment could be that we go deeper from here. Um, the, the hard part I see with the Fed's job is that it, it's like driving in the snow. You know, if you turn the wheel, it doesn't immediately respond. It takes a second. And if you keep turning it, eventually those wheels are going to bite and you're going to be out of control. Yeah. So you have to be real careful to, to turn the wheel a bit and let let things catch up. And I think the Fed is having to increase interest rates, but then be mindful to let the economy catch up. Yeah, you got to remember the Federal Reserve in 1979 had one mandate, and that was to break the back of inflation. Jerome Powell now, the counterpart to Paul Volcker, He's, he has a, he's got a dual mandate, and that is to keep inflation under control, but also to keep unemployment low. So he's got a dual mandate. So he's looking at both of those factors when he talks about increasing interest rates. So there's a difference. There's a difference yeah. with what his decisions are That's and what great. his uh, mandate in front of him is versus what Paul Volcker had. So we are. Well, if you missed any part of this episode and want to hear more of it, you can find it on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or you can find it on YouTube. Uh, just search for Retirement Unlimited, and you find a bunch of our shows. And if you have a, a comment or just an item you'd like us to discuss, discuss on a future episode, you can go to our website and click on the contact button. Um, it's www.retirementunlimited.com. Um, leave us a note and uh, we'll make sure we talk about your thoughts on a, a future episode. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge.
Thank you for listening. Information and ideas discussed on this program are in the nature of general comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Do not constitute legal or financial advice and do not create an attorney, client, or fiduciary relationship. Any examples or circumstances discussed are fictional. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor, tax consultant, or attorney, as well as conduct their own due diligence prior to making any decisions. Investments involve risk and the possibility of loss, including the loss of principal. All situations are different and results may vary. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent, California license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB.